In 2011, a Department of Defense report showed that roughly 48% of the workforce in Afghanistan and 58% of the workforce in Iraq was sourced through independent contractors hired to fill a growing need for support roles in U.S.-occupied war zones. These contractors represented around 20% of financial obligations, around $34 billion in Afghanistan and $15.4 billion in Iraq in 2011 alone. These contractors mostly hold non-combat roles, such as engineering support, housing, and culinary services, and a variety of other analysis and support roles needed in the U.S. counterinsurgency efforts. However, more and more frequently, the contractors are found to hold positions labeled as defense or security, in which they work alongside or independently of U.S. troops to fulfill roles almost identical to those of uniformed service members. So what happens when the boots on the ground simply there for profit are not under any branch of government? I will be taking a closer look at the U.S. and Russia's growing interest in private military companies and the effects that these companies have on regions that they're involved in. The U.S. has had a long relationship with private military companies, PMCs, dating back as far as World War II. The following Cold War between the USSR and the U.S. led to massive growth in the funding of private organizations in order to spread influence across the world. This massive growth in the military-industrial complex mixed with tensions between the two nations leads to hot zones around the world and increased need to fund these groups in order to do the dirty work. In 1997, the U.S.'s most infamous PMC, known as Blackwater, was formed due to an increased need for support on the ground in Iraq. Blackwater, formed by former Navy SEALs Al Clark and Eric Price, began to fill roles in the training of local troops, pulling security for military bases and embassies, and the protection of personnel deemed vital to operations on the ground. In 2007, the firm gained popularity due to an event that took place while protecting high-valued assets in Baghdad. After opening fire on a car they claimed presented a threat to their client, they killed an estimated 20 Iraqi citizens. One employee involved would receive a life sentence for first-degree murder, and three others would receive 12 to 15 years, though they would later receive a full pardon in December of 2020 due to their role in supporting U.S. interests. Blackwater would soon move away from offering military support roles and would instead focus on security roles. Legally speaking, PMCs fall dangerously close to being what we would normally refer to as mercenaries. Under Rule 108 of the Geneva Convention, any individual who falls under the title of mercenary, being someone who engages in national or international conflict for the sole purpose of profit, does not fall under the ruling of a combatant and cannot receive protection as a result. This is where the title of security becomes very important on the international stage. If the U.S. was to send troops that are supported by companies like Blackwater, those contractors fall under local regulations for private citizens. When those contractors choose to engage insurgents without acting in a defensive manner, they then start to look like mercenaries. Listen to Simon Mann, a 20-year PMC veteran, and his take on the line between contractor and mercenary during a 2014 Vice interview. The line between defense and offense gets very quickly blurred. So immediately, any decent soldiers will start thinking, instead of sitting here waiting to be shot, why don't we go out there and bag the bad guys before they manage to shoot us? And suddenly, you know, the rules start to get bent. These contractors are often ex-service members due to the necessary training requirements and experience needed to hold the positions. Job titles can range from personal security for wealthy businessmen all the way to direct support 
for U.S. Special Operations personnel, requiring one to hold a top secret security clearance and to have previously held a role in U.S. direct action through Special Operations Command. I feel it's important to point out that these jobs aren't hidden or hard to find. A quick Google search will reveal a job board for private contractors offering jobs in active U.S. hotspots today. Job rates increase massively compared to the average U.S. combat troop salary. Where an average combat trooper would receive roughly $2,500 a month, a contractor can earn anywhere from $9,000 to $22,000 a month while working in the same area and living on the same base. The U.S. continues to work with a wide variety of PMCs and has seen an increase in private contracting since the inception of the Space Force, wherein members of the private sector are being brought in routinely to update and enhance the U.S.'s space defense capabilities. While the U.S. makes an effort to distance itself and clearly define the roles of PMCs, Russia is not as secretive about its ties to private contractors. The Wagner Group is a private firm developed out of the need to distance Moscow from global operations in hot zones such as the Ukraine, Syria, and the Central African Republic, or CAR. Although the state maintains that no such organization is present due to the illegal nature of PMCs in Russia, members have been known to have direct ties to Russian surveillance and defense and are often veterans of Russian special forces known as Spetsnaz. Wagner began operating in Crimea in February of 2014, working alongside conventional Russian troops to overthrow the Ukrainian Defense Force. While in Crimea, Wagner wore face coverings and unmarked uniforms to hide any identifiable features. Multiple reports of mercenary interactions with Ukraine troops would follow, though none would be formally confirmed to be Wagner. Wagner also suggested to be conducting raid operations in the Ukraine in order to avoid foreign engagement should the Russian government be found to be conducting such operations. Soon after operations in Crimea ended, Wagner would pop up in Syria, where they would actively be supporting the Russian presence in peacekeeping operations against rebel forces on the ground. Wagner would continue to be linked to raids and attacks, all while Russia is able to maintain a level of plausible deniability due to the indirect relationship between the two. Wagner operations in Syria would come to a boiling point in February of 2018, when the firm attempted to assault a position of the Syrian Democratic Forces who were being supported by uniformed U.S. troops. The assault would lead to U.S. troops applying heavy artillery and direct fire using AC-130 gunships and attack helicopters to repel Wagner troops. It is estimated that the assault would lead to the death and wounding of 300 of the 600 troops. This would also be the first direct conflict between Russia and the U.S. since Vietnam. Wagner's role in Syria quickly took a turn following the events of this assault. It was soon discovered that Russia had begun to place bounties on the heads of U.S. troops operating in Afghanistan. The New York Times reported that Russia had secretly offered Afghan militants bounties to kill U.S. troops and that the Russian bounty was estimated to range upwards of $100,000 for each U.S. or coalition service member dead. Standoffs between Wagner and U.S. troops continued even as U.S. troops' presence in Syria dwindled below 1,000. Foreign policy writer Neil Hauer wrote a piece titled The Rise and Fall of a Russian Mercenary Army, detailing the events following the 2018 assault and the seemingly related decline of Wagner's presence in military operations. Instead, it seems that Wagner has moved to focusing more on security in unstable regions, while other companies such as Firm, Shield, Patriot, and Vega have popped up to fill similar roles where globally Wagner had traditionally been dominant. It is possible that Wagner had felt that Moscow had felt that Wagner had become a more household name than they would like them to be, and the shift towards more legal work would benefit their global position.
So on that night, we started receiving uh, artillery rounds in around right where you're standing, upwards of uh, 30 different artillery rounds. General Braga says he immediately picked up a hotline to the Russian military. So you called and said, stop this? Yes, I did. What response did you get? Uh, those are not our forces. U.S. forces were unconvinced. Braga says they gathered in this building to launch a counterstrike, raining down artillery and airstrikes. Two to three hundred of the Russian force was killed. Is, is, that, is that accurate? Oh, and that's, uh, I would say, close to our estimates as well. Were you worried that this could have become some sort of real war with Russia? Uh, well, absolutely concerned. U.S. military officials tell NBC News the Russian mercenaries were from the Wagner Group, a shadowy security firm linked to Yevgeny Prigozhin, a powerful oligarch known as Putin's chef. The U.S. captured intercepts of the mercenaries' communications, complaining about their heavy losses. They tore us to pieces, put us through hell, said one. The Yankees made their point. And it seems the mercenaries haven't given up. General Braga took us to the edge of the base, pointing out to where similar forces have come back. Hope it doesn't happen again, but if it does, we'll be ready. The major difficulty when responding to the actions taking place by these PMCs is there's little historical knowledge of how to interact with them and what those interactions may lead to. Russian troops must work to ensure they are not firing directly on Russian troops, and but also must ensure that they will not be overrun by non-government forces. At any point during these interactions, a wrong move could quickly turn and but send the U.S. and Russia into a head-on conflict. Though the Russian government maintains that these troops are not soldiers involved in Russian operations, it is possible that at one point they will feel the need to take responsibility for their citizens' death or harm, and that may come with conflict. All in all, groups such as Wagner only make global cooperation more difficult. As the world becomes more globalized, the necessity for regions to work together will only grow. If NGOs and foreign governments have to worry about the possibility of secret private hit squads, their ability to build more stable regions will globally dwindle. Sean McFade, author of Modern Mercenary, talking to CNBC. Mercenaries are the second oldest profession. Machiavelli knew how to use and fight with mercenaries. We at war colleges, we don't even study them. The intelligence community does not collect on them. I think this could be one of the biggest insecurity threats uh, of the 21st century. And uh, it's unfortunate that not more is known about it. After 9-11, the U.S. found itself embroiled in two major conflicts, one in Afghanistan and one in Iraq. Following the initial invasions, there was a need for more manpower to train the new security forces in both countries. The U.S. military is an all-volunteer force, which means rapidly increasing the size of the military would require conscription, also known as the draft, which was notably used during World War II in Vietnam. One answer was to have the private sector fill the gap instead. There are some people like that just doing it for the money, but actually, there's all sorts of strange people out there doing it. Some are doing it for the money. Some people are doing it for the adventure. And some people were, you know, they're vets of Iraq, Afghanistan, other wars. They come back home. They find out they don't want to be a Walmart, you know, checkout guy or gal. And so they go back to what they know. The free market. When looking at the relationship between Wagner and the Russian government, I can't help but see the connection between the Department of Defense and the use of Tier 1 Special Operations troops through the Army's Delta Force and 75th Ranger Regiment, the Navy Dev Grew, and Air Force 24th Special Tactics Squadron. 
as well as the use of clandestine operations through the Central Intelligence Agency they seem to closely mimic the use of Russian PMCs. Um, it seems the main difference between Russia and the U.S. is that Russia is trying to create a degree of separation from their operations, whereas the U.S. is just trying to maintain a higher level of security and secrecy uh, in order to avoid any international backlash. When we look at stuff like the raid of Osama bin Laden in 2011, it led to the death of six individuals, including bin Laden, on Pakistan soil. Similarly, if we look at the, the raid on the ISIS leader Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, uh, an estimated 21 individuals were killed, 15, 15 of them were labeled as non-combatants after the events. Um, similarly, through the Trump era, we look at the U.S. drone strike on uh, Qasem Soleimani results in 10 deaths, or even Obama-era drone strikes resulting in an estimated 116 non-combatant deaths. The whole invasion of, a, of Iraq was for U.S. soil interests, and that resulted in 28 288,000 deaths. Um, the U.S. really isn't a stranger to engaging in these operations on that have massive effects on geopolitics. And it just seems that the only thing that's changing is the way the information is available. The Wagner Group is trying to, you know, maintain their own level of, of security, but they're highly public. The U.S. does these operations, and we really only hear about them should operational security support the fact that they, the U.S. troops were successful in their mission. Um, to me, it seems that that's the pretty much the only difference here. The Russians are private, but it's pretty closely related to the public uh, military, whereas the U.S., is public and it's the military, but they're just trying to keep everything to be a little bit private. Even looking at Trump's response to the death of Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi and 15 non-combatants, he called them dogs. It's, it doesn't seem that we're much different from the Russians, even though we try to hold ourselves to a higher standard. Baghdadi's demise demonstrates America's relentless pursuit of terrorist leaders and our commitment to the enduring and total defeat of ISIS and other terrorist organizations. Our reach is very long. As you know, last month we announced that we recently killed Hamza bin Laden, the very violent son of Osama bin Laden, who was saying very bad things about people, about our country, about the world. He was the heir apparent to Al-Qaeda, terrorists who oppress and murder innocent people should never sleep soundly, knowing that we will completely destroy them. These savage monsters will not escape their fate, and they will not escape the final judgment of God. Baghdadi, has been on the run for many years, long before I took office. But in my direction, as Commander-in-Chief of the United States, we obliterated his caliphate 100 percent in March of this year. Today's events are another reminder that we will continue to pursue the remaining ISIS terrorists 
to their brutal end. That also goes for other terrorist organizations. They are likewise in our sights. Baghdadi and the losers who worked for him, and losers they are. They had no idea what they were getting into. In some cases, they were very frightened puppies. In other cases, they were hardcore killers. I would like to thank Professor Birch for helping me find some credible sources that I could use and to help me fully understand what I was talking about. I'd also like to thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. This is something I'm very, very interested in and I could probably talk about for a very long time, so I kind of had to cut it short. But I appreciate you for putting some effort into listening.